This place in Scripture where we are, for those of you that are visiting, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's, it's such an honor for us to have you, and, and that you would give us an hour or so of your day is very kind. And we, we count it a privilege that you're here. And we will not try to waste your time uh, while you're here. We will try with all of our hearts to, to center in on the very essence of what our church is all about, and that is the Word of God. Normally, like if I could, I'd preach down here all the time. I like it being closer. Oh, they're going to make some steps, I think, for me. And that, that's kind of cool because uh, it's too high for me to jump up anymore. And it hurts to jump down. So we're going to have some steps made. Um, we're in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. We've been studying through it. Those of you that are here, you know that, you know that we've been uh, going through this. And it's just been, uh, to me, it's just been a glorious study. We came to the 8th chapter, and the 8th chapter, um, <clears throat> now I've not found this in any commentary, so this is kind of my thoughts on it, so you can take this part for what it's worth. But the 8th chapter is like a comparison chapter. We took a look at, um, last week we took a look at Stephen and Philip, and we made mention um, in, the, in, the, in that week that uh, the comparison between Stephen and Philip are are quite unique. They're both wonderful, godly men. They were both chosen out of the congregation. They were kind of chosen just like us. You know, just uh, there was a problem in the church, the early church, and some some widows of the Hellenistic Jews were, were feeling like they were being slighted, you know. And so they came to the apostles, and the apostles said, look, we're really, this place is getting big, and it's, it's kind of hard to take care of everything. So we're going to study the Word, and we're going to pray. You find, you find some people who are of good reputation, who are filled with the Spirit, who have wisdom, knowledge, um, all of those things, and, and, and you choose them, and, and they'll solve this problem for us. And so they did. They chose seven people, and out of the seven is mentioned... Um, Stephen and Philip. We, we watch their lives a little more closely. Just as I'm going to say in a while in this service, uh, watching Stephen die when he got stoned to death was Saul. Now, there were many other people there, but Saul was mentioned. And then Saul was mentioned that he went in and started to ravage the church and started to bring people to prison, men and women alike. Now, Saul wasn't the only one that did that. There were others. The reason Saul is mentioned is because you and I need to get to know Saul. God is going to do something amazing through the life of Saul, just as he did amazingly through the life of Stephen, and just like he does, is going to do amazingly in the life of Philip. So when we get to the 8th chapter, we see Stephen and Philip side by side, and we noted something very interesting about the two of them. Number one, they're, they're, even though these men were both chosen out of the congregation, one had a ministry that lasted just just a, a brief moment in time. Uh, after his first message, as we saw, they, they had a mock trial on him, and they killed him. They stoned him to death. The other one, Philip, his life went on for a long, long time. He, he was an evangelist, and he pastored a church, and, and he had a long, long ministry. And what we learned from that is that the length of our ministry and whatever we do within our ministry is not an issue with God. God will use us as He best sees fit to use us. And so, that's the way that is. Hi, Minnie. Love you. Are you doing all right? Minnie was married to uh, her husband Cliff for 63 years. 63 years. And he went home to be with the Lord last week. And we, we, uh, we had the privilege of being with their family, her sweet, her sweet daughter and the rest of them, and buried Cliff. But I can only imagine your heart. I can only imagine, you know, after 63 years of being without Cliff. So, but he's, he's in heaven and we'll see him soon. We'll see him soon. Pardon me? Oh, I'll Fly Away was one of his favorite songs. That's neat. Yeah. So anyways... So, so God is going to use us for as long as He wants and where He wants. That's His business. It's not ours. So we saw a comparison between these two men. 
As I say to you, I believe this eighth chapter is a chapter of comparisons. And now what we're going to see, as I say, we're going to do this a little differently than we normally do. I'm going to, I'm going to read the, the section of scripture that, that we were going to study today. But we're going to jump ahead just a little bit in this same chapter. Because we want to see the comparison between Simon, a man who was from Samaria, who was a magician, who builded himself as someone to be great. And an Ethiopian eunuch, whom we don't know his name, who came to Christ through Philip's ministry. Both of these men, as we compare, what we're going to compare is perhaps the most important commodity that you and I have. And that is our hearts. Our hearts to believe and to trust. What God wants from you and from you and you and you and you and me is a pliable, workable heart. He calls it good soil that will take roots to the things of God and will produce a hundred, hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. As we get to that place in Scripture, I'm going to remind you that the amount of the amount of productivity, that's a good word, of productivity that you might find in and through your life might vary. One person might have a, gosh, just things seem to explode all around them and they, they do what appears to be magnificent things unto the Lord. And some, you know, try, but not much happens. Such is the life of Stephen and Philip. I'm sure that the church in the first century, that early church, when Stephen was stoned to death, I'm certain that they thought, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Hi, Carla. You too, sweetheart. You too. About your husband. Um, what a tragedy, um, they must have thought. Here's an up and rising, just a, um, a man that can do wonders within the church. I'm sure that they thought, wow, this guy is, it, when the apostles pass on, I can see them passing the torch to Stephen. And there he dies. And some might have thought, what a, what a waste, what a waste. But in the eyes of God, I'm here to say to you, it was not even close to, to a waste. God knew exactly what he was doing in the life of Stephen, just as he knows exactly what he's doing in the life of Philip, just as he knows exactly what he's doing in your life and in my life. And so in the case of Stephen, as I was mentioning, it looked like he did not so much. Oh, really though? I believe he impacted Saul as much as anyone. And through the life of Saul, Stephen's ministry is still going. He did great things. And so in your life and in my life, we need to not judge by the magnitude of it, but by our hearts and our faithfulness unto the Lord. And so we compared Stephen and Philip, and we saw that the Lord will use us as long as he does. And, and we not ought to think, whoa, what a failure. No, because, would you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55? Please, hold your place in Acts. And then we're going to look later in Matthew, and that'll be the last two places we're going to look in Scripture but for today. But I want you to see Isaiah chapter 55 with me, please. As you turn there, what we're going to learn from this wonderful place in Scripture is that the world's idea of success in the life and the ministry of Stephen, for instance, was not a failure at all. It was a brilliant success. Reason being is you and I don't see things as God does. The Bible's clear about that. Now, I want to add a couple of verses rather than verses 8 and 9. I want to start with verse 1 of chapter 55. It says, Everyone who thirsts... The reason I'm going to do this is I want you to remember some of this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters... And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Well, that sounds like it's, you know, I mean, it doesn't kind of make sense. You have no money, come buy and eat. Come, it says, buy wine and milk without money, without costs. You see, the essence of the, of the scriptures is that you and I don't need money. In fact, 
We cannot buy our way into heaven. We cannot buy our way into good faith. It all comes from the essence of our hearts. And our hearts must be good soil. And the only thing that will make your heart, my heart, good soil will be the Word of God. I want to show you this. Now, look at verse 6, and we'll read from verse 6 to verse 11. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and the unrighteous person their thoughts. Let, the, let him return to the Lord, and He, meaning the Lord, will have compassion on him, and to our God, for He will, watch, look at those next two words, abundantly pardon. There is no sin that if you come back to the Lord, there is no sin that if you come to the Lord, that He will not abundantly forgive and pardon you. He wants to do that. That's His ministry in your and my life, to abundantly pardon and forgive us. Then He goes on to say what I wanted to really note in verses 8 and 9. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, and does not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. If there is a favorite verse of mine, this is one of them. Isaiah 55.11 is the very essence of what I try to stand upon as a person that tries to teach the Word of God. I've never, and you know this, I do not try to give you my ideas about religion. I do not try to go off on some philosophical journey and some, uh, um, we don't vary from the Word of God depending upon what's happening in our society today. Basically, it is our purpose in this church to set forth God's Word, to proclaim His Word. There's only one way you and I can do that, and that is by understanding and knowing this, our Bibles. To proclaim God's Word, He makes a promise. If we proclaim His Word, it will not come back empty. It will accomplish what God desires for it to accomplish in your life. That's why when we preach a message... Someone over here might be having a problem with marriage. Someone over here might be having a problem with help or loneliness or whatever. There might be something that you're going through. And when the Word of God is preached, it will go into your heart and it will accomplish what God desires to accomplish in each individual here. And so I don't need to worry about, is this going to touch this person and maybe not touch that person? That's not my job. My job is to proclaim the Word of God. My job is to proclaim what God would want us to proclaim, and then He takes over from there. And He will accomplish in all of our lives what He desires and set out to do in and through each one of us. And so that's why it is a travesty for a church to open its doors and not to preach the Word of God line upon line, because they are missing exactly what is the formula that will change your heart. Your heart is that issue here. Yours and mine. Our hearts must be good soil so that when we receive the Word of God, it will take seed within us and it will accomplish what God wants for it to accomplish. Now, that in mind, turn back with me to Acts chapter 8, please. Try to remember some of this, what we just talked about. What we saw last week was that the persecution up to this point in time, had only been directed at the church leadership, the apostles, and a few others, like Stephen. But now, because of what happened in the life of Stephen, it is now directed at the church as a whole. Just just the church members, just folks like you and me. Now they're coming after all of them. 
Here's why they are doing this. Remember what happened when Stephen died. The congregation, the group of people, got together and they loudly lamented over him. And that was key. You see, you could not, it was forbidden as a Jew to loudly lament over an executed criminal. Couldn't do that. And so when they loudly lamented over Stephen, they were proclaiming to everyone in the city of Jerusalem that this is an innocent man who has just been executed by these people. The same people that has been proclaimed killed Jesus Christ, murdered him. They now have murdered another innocent man. And so when they loudly lamented over him, they were making a public protest against those who stoned to stone I said Jesus I was going to say Jesus who stoned Stephen and so therefore the religious leaders gathered together you can just surmise this is what took place and they then started ravaging the church not just Saul the only reason we see Saul is the only reason we saw Stephen and the only reason we saw Philip because God wanted to make a point to us through their lives I'm certain there were a lot more people than Saul that was going from house to house and taking people to prison. So take a look with me and let's read from verse 4. And we'll read a little bit further than where... Well, I'm going to go through verse 8. But I'm also going to talk about Simon and, and the eunuch today. But, excuse me, the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 4. Therefore, after they had this lamenting. Therefore... Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and they saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lamed were healed. And there was much rejoicing in the city. Now, there was a certain man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were given attention to him, Simon, by saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. They were attributing to him to be the Messiah. So this guy Simon is soaking all of this in because as we just read, he loved the fact that, that he was great. He was stating it himself, I am someone great. And so they are just marveling over him. In the process of all of this, if you remind yourself back to verse 3, although the, the persecution was only directed at the apostles and the leadership, now the whole church body... Look verse 3. Saul began ravaging the church. He was entering house after house. He was dragging off men and women. And he put them in prison. Now as I said to you before. It wasn't just Saul. But the reason we see Saul. Is because God is going to do something. Absolutely utterly amazing. In and through the life of Saul. Can't wait to study that. But that we will have to wait until we get into chapter 9. In the meantime we have enough to to study right here in chapter 8. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us, please. Father, as it is my way, Father, I, I ask that you would open up our eyes and our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, that you would give us this moment in time that we might center our hearts upon what you might be saying to each of us individually, that you would open up our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from the most gracious privilege that any people ever could have, and that is wonderful things from your law, your Bible. This most precious gift that we have apart from your Son, Father. It is your Word that will accomplish what it desires to accomplish in our life. Not, the, not some philosophical ideas, not uh, anything else. It is your Word that will minister to our hearts. And as we're going to see today, that's as important as anything we have. The most important commodity that we possess is our hearts and father they need to be pliable they need to be what you call good soil so that you can produce in us what you so desire 
So, Father, thank you for this time. Take me, move me aside, and let us get a great glimpse of yourself and your Son through your Word today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, look at verse 4. There's a key word. Actually, there's three words, but the key word is preaching. It says preaching the Word, does it not? I think it does in verse 4. Yeah, they went about preaching the Word. The word preaching in the Greek language is E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-Z-O. What it refers to is to proclaim the gospel. Now, the gospel, pure and simple, out of the book of uh, Corinthians, is this. Jesus lived. Jesus uh, was crucified on the cross and He died. He was buried. And, and what? Three days, He rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And so they went about preaching the gospel. But watch this now. The implication in verse 4 is that all of the scattered believers were involved. All of them were involved in preaching the word. Look look what it says, verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered, in other words, all of them that left, and we learned earlier that everyone left except the apostles, so all of them that left were involved. It says, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And so, the persecution that came upon the church only produced the very thing that they were hoping it would destroy. They were hoping to wipe out this whole thing called Christianity. But by persecuting the church, they only broadened the flame. They only started the embers going all over the place and it got to be out of hand. It was uncontrollable now because everyone was going about preaching the word. Now let me just touch a moment upon your life and mine about that. To preach the word, I'm not saying that all of us ought to become Billy Grahams or something like that. On the contrary, I think that God wants to use you just as you are. For you and you and you and you and me to try to be something we're not, it will not work as far as your life and and your sharing of who you are in Christ with others. There are plenty of people out there that need someone who is like hardcore. You know, someone says, you know, you've got to repent or you're going to go to hell. There's a lot of people that need that message. But there is also a lot of people that need someone who is more gentle. Someone that maybe doesn't have all the expertise to speak out all these wonderful things, but, but maybe just is a, a person that can give them a, a cold cup of water or maybe a smile or, or just to befriend them. The best example is when I first came to Christ, man, I would share with anything that moved. I mean, I wanted people to come to Christ. I could not believe from the very depth of my soul that all I had to do was confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I would receive eternal life. It just went beyond my wildest dream. I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I wanted everyone to know it. So when I went back... My hometown was San Pedro, California. I was born and raised in Highland Park, Michigan. But starting high school, my mother, my father, my sister and I moved to San Pedro. And when we moved there, I made friends there, of course. And and after I was through playing baseball and all that, I'd come back home and I, I would visit with my old friends in San Pedro. And the moment I saw them, that's when I came to Christ. Man, when I got to the place all the guys were at, I said, you got to come to Christ. You know, and I'd get them aside, and I, the only buddy who was having fun at this function was me. Because I was telling them about the Lord, and they just thought, man, this guy is weird, get him out of here. One of my good friends came to me a few days later, gave me a call, and said, John, the guys don't want to see you much anymore. Why is that? Well, all you do is pray, you convict them that they're, they're, they're going to go to hell, and you, you know, you're telling them about Christ, and it's way too much. The guys don't want to hear that. So I thought it through. And he wasn't a believer. But I thought, you know, I bet he's right. I bet I'm over, I'm just just rolling over these guys. And so I said, Lord, if it's okay with you, do you know my heart? I will share with anyone, Lord. But if, if these guys invite me anymore back to there, I'm going to back off. And I'll, here's what I'll do, Father. I'll let you bring to me the people that, that you know is ready to hear. I'll, I'll back off. Sure enough, I got invited to another t- function with all these guys. I didn't say anything. Well, all I did was talk about the weather. You know, I didn't talk about anything. Sure enough, midway through this time, 
couple of guys came to me. Said, you know, I want to hear more about this Jesus Christ you're talking about. Uh, how did it change your life? I said, hey, you, you're asking me. I'm not coming to you, right? <laughs> and they, they came and we talked. I'd like to tell you that they, all, they, they both accepted the Lord. I don't know that they did. But I'll tell you what I did do. I planted a seed. I planted a seed in their lives. And God brought me the people that He wanted. You know, sometimes you cannot be always overbearing. What I'm saying is that God has people out there that need those of you that are really ready to go get them. And He'll take you to those people. And He also needs those of us here in this room who don't feel like we're adequate, don't feel like we can do it. All we can do is something kind maybe or, or live it through our lives. And so God has given His message to each one of us. And your ability or inabilities does not diminish the fact that you have a responsibility to share. I am just saying to you, don't try to conform yourself into what you think an evangelist ought to be like. You just be yourself. God will use you through just the way He made you. He made you just as you are. He wants to use you in that fashion. So what we see in verse 5 is that Philip takes this word of God that was given to him to those in Samaria a place that was considered by the Jews to be an unholy, unclean place. In John chapter 4, verse 9, when Jesus saw the woman at the well, and she said to him, Wow, what are you doing talking to me? She says, Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. And Jesus wanted to show every one of us that nobody is off limits. We're to reach as many people as we can. Now, let me give you a little history lesson of concerning Samaria. Long ago, Israel was divided into three regions. In the north was Galilee. In the central part of Israel was Samaria. In the south was Judea. Samaria, in 722 B.C., was conquered by an Assyrian by the name of Sargon. He took many of the Jews captive and killed many of them. He kept what was, I guess, the pick of the litter. He kept the ones that he thought was most healthy, most beautiful. Uh, he kept the good part of the lot, so to speak. Ultimately, these people that he kept, the Jews, intermarried with the, with the people of Sargon, of Syria. They formed what it was a mixed race called Samaritans. The Samaritans, when Jerusalem was going to build the temple way back in the book of Ezra, they came to say, can we help build the temple? And they said, no, we have nothing to do with you. So they went back and built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which separated them further from the people of the Jews of, of Jerusalem in that area. So they were considered by most Jewish people as half-breeds, uh, religious apostates, if you would. And the, true, the two groups absolutely hated one another. Up steps Jesus Christ. He says, we must go, when He was in his, living here on this earth, before He was crucified, He said to his, his disciples, we must go through Samaria. They went through Samaria, and he shared with that woman at the well, and all of the townspeople came. She says, come. She says, I think I've found the Messiah. And they came out, and many, many, many people believed. And Jesus, by commanding his followers to do the same, he says, I want you to spread the gospel everywhere. Not just to select people, but to everyone. He says, in, remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, when, when the Spirit of God has come upon you, you will receive power. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest parts of this earth. Thus, what our Lord demonstrated, that we're all people were, were able and, and, and qualified, if you will, to come to His saving grace, regardless of our race, regardless of our background, regardless of who we are. We are all welcomed into the family of God. 
And so what we see in Samaria in verses 6, 7, and 8 is Philip has many people come to Christ and they were like the first church. Look at verse 8. There was much rejoicing in that city. The reason they were rejoicing was that they caught the idea that their sins could be forgiven. You see, besides, in verses 6 and 7, besides Philip casting out demons, besides him healing everyone who was paralyzed and lame, all of these miracles only did one thing. They only had but one purpose. And that was to give Philip the authority to speak on behalf of God. That was why miracles were done in those days. Miracles were done to verify the Word of God. And so Philip did these miracles, and, and, it, and, it, and it's no wonder, as you look at verse 6, it says the people were giving attention to what was said by Philip. The miracles, these attesting miracles that Philip did, gave him the authority to speak as of, as if from God. That was his calling card, if you would. The miracles that he performed. The powerful miracles in the preaching of Philip resulted in salvation of many, many Samaritans. But, as is the case with any kind of true biblical preaching, inevitably, it produces other responses depending upon the hearts of the hearer. Because here in Acts chapter 8, we get to do what I say we get to do, and that is we get to compare. We compared Philip and, and Stephen. Now we're going to compare this man named Simon with this Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, this Ethiopian was a man of high influential power in his community. He was not just some Ethiopian eunuch. He was a man of authority. And when he went back to Ethiopia, he had the gospel. And I'm certain that he shared the gospel there when he, get back, when he got back home. But in Acts, as I've already said, in Acts chapter 8, Stephen and Philip, com the comparison is, God will use us how he sees fit to use us and for how long. But also we're going to see the comparison of a person's heart. The comparison of Simon with the Ethiopian. Now, here's where we're going to do a little different. We're going to jump ahead. We'll get back to it in weeks to come. I'm just going to kind of show you what has taken place in the life of Simon. Look at verse 17. We're catching it in the middle. It says in verse 17, Then they, they being the apostles, namely Peter and the rest of them, when they began laying their hands on them, them meaning the people there in Samaria, they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, in verse 19, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Remember Isaiah 55, 1? Come and buy. You who have no money, come and buy wine. Come and buy, was it bread? Come and buy milk. Is that what it was? Thanks. People, the gospel is not for sale. And Simon learned this lesson real quick. Look what it says to him after verse 20. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Verse 21. You have no part, you have no portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent. Now we see, and we're going to see more deeply, a heart that was not ready to receive. A heart that was hardened. Simon wanted what he wanted from God as a tool to be seen as somebody special. And the, the gospel isn't for that purpose. Now let's take a look at the Ethiopian in verse 30. This is really clever story because the Spirit had Philip join this guy and run alongside of his chariot. 
And while he was running alongside of this chariot, it says in verse 30, when Philip had run up, he heard the Ethiopian reading Isaiah the prophet and said, he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, this guy was not just some common guy. This was a, a, an influential man. He was a, a man that was probably well educated. Do you understand what you're reading, he asks. The Ethiopian said to him, um, how can I? Unless someone, what? Guides me. Let me tell you something, folks. When you come to Christ, no matter if you're uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or in your teens or even younger, you all come in the same, same door at the same level. We all need to be taught. We're all babies in Christ, no matter how old you may be. And we need someone to guide us. We need someone to teach us what is, what is in the Scriptures so that we understand and, and we aren't misled by what is being taught to us in the Word of God. And so he says to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited then, verse 31, he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now they're both in the chariot. And the passage of Scripture which the Ethiopian was reading was this. It's in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For the earth is removed, for, excuse me, for his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch then looks at Philip in verse 34 and says, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture preaching Jesus to this, young, this man. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said to Philip, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, if you believe with all of your what? If all of your heart, if you believe with all of your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered and he said to Philip, I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down to the water and they baptized him. Folks, there was a difference between that eunuch's heart and, and Simon's heart. In Matthew, now you can, you can leave Acts for a moment. We'll come back next time. But look at Matthew chapter 13 with me. It's critical. You see, the Lord gives to us an insight of what a heart ought to look like once the Word of God is sown. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, there are a number of parables. I want us to take a look at the same parable once as the Lord says it to the people, and then after He gets alone with His disciples, they came to Him and said, What, what was that about? We didn't get it all. And then He's going to explain it. Let's read it first as He said it. Now here, let me give you a clue. He's going to say this later on, but let us know. The sower, the person that sows, is the one who gives witness to the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. The soil is the person who is hearing's heart. In other words, the one who is hearing the message, the soil is the condition of their heart. So, verse 3. Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Basically what a parable is. A parable is, uh, the definition of parable is a comparison. It's like laying something alongside another thing to, to compare it, to measure it. So, he says in verse 4, As he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, but because they had no depth of soil, but when the sun was risen, when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Verse 8. And others, the fourth seed that was sown, fell on good soil and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, note, when he says a hundredfold, sixty, and thirty, makes no comparison. Not, not like one's better than the other. 
All of them are being used by God. Some will produce a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. That's not an issue. The issue is the heart, the good heart, the good soil. Now, if you turn and look ahead at verse 18, the disciples came to the Lord and said, you know, what did that mean? Would you explain it to us? And so in verse 18, Jesus gives the explanation. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. He's going to tell him again. He says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not what? Does not what? Understand it. When he hears and doesn't understand it, the evil one is going to come and snatch away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Now, beside the road is talking about a road that's rock hard solid. It's not softened. It hasn't been um, tilled. It's just hard. It's like a highway. And so when the seed falls, it doesn't go into the soil at all. It just sits there, and the birds come. Birds, Jesus explains later, is none other than the devil. The birds come, takes the seed, and it never gets a chance to, to bear any kind, of, any kind of fruit at all. I, I think every one of us know people like that. Their hearts are so hardened that, 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 that you tell them something about the good news of Jesus Christ, and they just... They just push it aside like don't want to hear anything. Their hearts have become hardened. 20, verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately he receives it with joy. Yet, verse 21, he doesn't have a firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, note, why, where the, note where the affliction and persecution comes from. Because of the word. Immediately that person falls away. Let me tell you something about this, first and foremost. This is not something to comfort you and me. This was given to you and me so as to convince us and to convict us that we need a Savior. This was written not to make you feel good about yourself. This was written so that you and I would feel good about our God and that He would be able to save us. And so when this person receives this seed, even though the soil, by the way, this particular soil, the rocks are not laying on top. The the rocks by the, the man who had this farm was cleared off. What he didn't realize is there was nothing but hard rocks underneath. And so when he planted the seed, it went into the soil, but it couldn't go deep. The roots couldn't grow deep, and where the, where the, where the plant would get its energy and its nourishment was from the roots. And so the roots couldn't grow deep because of the rocks. And so what, what, when, it, when the roots went in, it sprung up okay, but when the sun hit on it, it died, it withered away. Because it didn't have deep roots. You see, this one, in verses 20 and 21, the flesh, our fleshly desires, when affliction, when persecution comes, we leave the church. Not we. That person leaves the church. Their flesh robs them of any commitment to Christ. Verse 22, The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns... This is the man who hears the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. See, this person cares more about the things of the world than he does the things of God. The, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worry of the world. We've all had friends like this. People who come to church, they seem to receive what is said, but when they get out there in the world, man, they go, they go crazy. They just do all that what their friends do. And the world robs them of their growth. It doesn't allow them to produce a good heart. But, verse 23, the person on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the person who hears the word and does what? 
and understands it. Folks, it is critical. It is absolutely, utterly critical that you and I are taught the Word of God. We must understand it. The Word of God must go forth because it is, as it says in Isaiah 55, 11, the Word of God that will not return back empty. God will allow the Word of God to minister to your heart. And when it gets into your heart, it will start to soften your heart. It will make your heart pliable so that you are ready to hear the things of God and so that your heart will be good soil and will produce fruit. Look what it says. And indeed, this bears fruit. It brings forth some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30. Not that one's better than the other. Otherwise, we can say Stephen's life was not as vital as Philip's. But that's not true. We already know that. It doesn't matter how much you produce. What matters is the condition of your heart. A true believer, trust me folks, a true believer is someone who reproduces himself or herself with their friends, neighbors, and loved ones. It doesn't matter whether they come to Christ. Let me, I was in a real tough meeting one time. Man, I, it was really a tough meeting. And, and there was a person that was really antagonistic. Um, kind of self-righteous. Needless to say, you, I cannot explain to you this meeting. I can only tell you what happened. This person that was kind of antagonistic said, you know, he says, I've led hundreds, probably thousands of people to Christ. I had enough, and I said, you haven't led one person to Christ in your life. Oh, he got a little indignant. I said, God did it. God is the one who produces. You just are available. It kind of quieted the meeting, as you can well imagine. But that needed to be said. There's not a person that you and I will ever win to Christ. Your job is not to have lots of people come to Christ. Your job is to have a heart that is pure and is willing to share. The results, they're all His. We just do. We just, some of us will... Well, uh, water, I, I, I should have looked it up. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Yeah, we, we, we found that out. Some water, some whatever, plant, and then, and then, but God produces the outcome. It is God who does it, folks, not you, not me. And so all He asks of us is to have our hearts prepared so that we are willing to be used by Him. And you cannot, and I cannot, we cannot be used by Him unless, like the Ethiopian, we say... When he says, do you understand what you read? He says, oh, I need someone to guide me. Or like it says here, the man or the person who hears the word and understands it, that's the one who will bear fruit. We need to understand what is being taught. So in, 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 in this scenario, in the book of Acts, some access, accepted the gospel. And they believed and they rejoiced that they were true believers. But their true joy did not come from being healed of any infirmity. Their true joy came from the realization that their sins were forgiven and that they were at peace with God. That's where your joy and my joy should come from. Our circumstances will always have difficult times and good times, but our difficult times and good times ought not to drive our whatever. What, what ought to drive us ought, ought to be the fact that we know in whom we believe and that He is our Savior. And the Word of God is what is going to make you and me good soil. It will come into us and it will reproduce in us the very thing that God wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And the reason that is true, if you're still in Matthew, if you look at the 7th chapter real quick, Jesus says we must teach the Word. Because in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, He gives us a warning. He says, I want you to enter through the narrow gate. That's when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, nobody comes to the Father but through me. Very narrow way. He says, because the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through the broad and the wide gate. But he says in verse 14, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Folks, there's only one way you and I can find life. And we can find the way. And that is to know this. There is no other way. I'm telling you, there's no other way. 
There's no other philosophical ideas. There's no preaching other things. The only way that you and I will have a heart that is pliable and good soil before our Lord is to know the Word of God and to be taught the Word of God so that we, too, can say, who's going to guide us? How could we understand these things? And we need to learn them. And so we have a comparison in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. We see a comparison of Stephen and Philip. Short ministry, long ministry. But let me tell you something. Ouch. I made it. It's okay. I'm all right. I do, I, I do that to, to really can make them give me steps. <laughs> it's low on the priority. <laughs> I did, that was okay. It didn't hurt. Anyways, um, um, so with Stephen and Philip, the comparison isn't for your life and my life how long our ministry is or, or how short it might be. What it is, is how is our hearts? That's the issue. That's the other comparison that we see in the book of Acts. That we have a heart that is pliable before the Lord so that He can do within us the very things that He wants to do. And there's only one way, only one way, dear folks, that He's ever, ever, ever going to be able to make your heart pliable, and that is through the Word of God. That is the only way. There are... I love you. There are not a lot of ways. The only way, the only way is to be taught the Word of God. And so as a church, we are committed to that because we love you. Love you, love you, love you, love you. We're not, we're not trying to entertain one another. We're trying to teach one another. We're trying to make hearts pure before the Lord. So who knows who you and I might reach this week for the cause of Christ. It might be someone as powerful in this generation in which we live, like Saul, whose heart might be changed and that God will use to usher in the second coming of Christ. Who knows? I know that's far-fetched, but who knows? So only the Word. Only the Word. In the meantime, work on your heart. Cultivate your heart. Make it pliable before the Lord. Don't reject when He says to you, you need to confess this. You need to get this out of your life. And you don't need to say, eh, later. Don't do that. Say whatever. Because trust me. Trust me from the bottom of my heart. And I will close. Trust me. Whatever it is He has for you that you think won't be as good as what you're doing is a lie from the pit of hell. Whatever it is that He has for you will be so much better, you won't believe it. You will not even be able to dream or imagine the wonders that God has before you. Let's pray. Dear Father, how can we thank you enough? It's the most most precious thing we have is your word. And, and, and the most precious thing that we possess are, are our hearts. And so, for, Father, work within us. Make our hearts pliable. Make them, make them a good soil, Father, that we might... We might produce 100, 60, 30, it doesn't matter, that we might be used by you. Thank you for everyone here. I love them so much, Father. I just love these people so much. I thank you for each one. Bless us all as we go from here, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Have a great, great weekend, the rest of it. See you next time. Oh.